Good afternoon everyone, my name is Mark Pearsall from the National Archives and I'm going to talk to you this afternoon about emigration records at the National Archives and what we hold and what you can access online and in other archives. I'm not going to cover transportation and convict emigration. What I'm going to cover this afternoon are records of free emigration and emigration to basically Commonwealth countries. I'm going to cover passports and licenses to pass beyond the seas, surviving passenger lists in the National Archives, say a little bit about free emigration and the various colonial office series of records, home office and foreign office records that you can use, and a bit about child migration in the late 19th century and early 20th century and the Second World War period. You can find research guidance on our website, nationalarchives.gov.uk, and you can click on Find Guidance and look for the research guides. There are actually two. This one is looking for records of an emigrant and gives you basic guidance on what records we hold and how to start. There is also another research guide on emigration generally, which is broken down by country and tells you what records survive by each of the dominions and some of the other colonies. You can also, if you want to take it further in more depth, there are three guides to emigration records. Migration Records by Roger Kershaw, Family History on the Move by Roger Kershaw and myself, Mark Pearsall, and New Lives for Old by Roger Kershaw relating to child migration and child immigration from the United Kingdom. First of all, I'm going to cover passports and licenses to pass beyond the seas. Licenses beyond the seas only survive for certain periods. The main records are in an exchequer series, E157, and cover the early 17th century. There are some later records amongst the state papers in the state papers series SP25 and the state paper entry books in SP44. Licenses to pass beyond the seas cover British English troops moving to the Holland and the Netherlands in the period between 1613 and 1635 and also some emigration to the American colonies. The state papers and the warrants in SP 25 cover the period from 1661 onwards and cover most of the 18th century uh, and detail warrants to actually visit or emigrate to British colonies, mainly in North America, but also in the Caribbean, and passes to pass beyond the seas to travel abroad in Europe. The main series of passport registers only commence at the end of the 18th century in 1795, and we have passport registers up to 1948. Later records are still held by the passport office. The passport registers are in a foreign office series, FO610, and there are indexes to the registers, but only for certain years in the series FO611, covering part of the 19th century, 1851 to 62, although 18, there is a gap in 1857, and then there's a gap from 1863 to 1873, and then indexes from 1874 to 1916. The later registers, you'd need to know roughly when someone would have applied for a passport, but you can search the registers up to 1948. And these registers are now available online on commercial websites, particularly for the passport registers on Ancestry. 
You can also look for some case papers, but the majority of applications and case papers do not survive. They cover the period from 1916 to 1983, but the majority of the records are for the early period from 1916 to the early 1920s in another Foreign Office series, FO737. This is an example of the licenses to pass beyond the seas, registers of passengers leaving the Port of London for New England and other colonies in the Exchequer series E157. It just gives you basic details, names of individuals. It doesn't give you, as a rule, relationships to, to one another or occupations of individuals, just names and ages and the name of the ship on which they went. Most of the early records for the 17th century and early 18th century relating to emigration to North America have been extracted from these records and have been published particularly by J.C. Houghton in the 19th century in his original lists of persons emigrating to America between 1600 and 1700. These are now available, most of them can be searched for online and good reference libraries have copies of the publications. This is an example of a passport register from FO610, the Foreign Office Passport Registers. This is for 1876. And as you'll see, it just gives very basic information. The date that the passport was issued, the number of the passport, the name of the individual to whom the passport was issued, and the destination. Originally, passports were usually issued for a specific journey. Um, they could be renewed and extended by consuls abroad, but they were usually issued just for one journey. And you just get very basic details of the individual. And the majority of people didn't actually apply for passports. It's usually businessmen or merchants, occasionally people travelling to countries where they thought they needed the added security of a British passport. But the majority of people travelled particularly to and from Europe without a passport being issued. It was only in 1915 that passports actually became compulsory during the First World War. This is an example of a later register from 1930, and again the details are very basic. You just get the date the passport was issued, the number of the passport, the name of the individual, and the destination is even for the later registers, usually even more bland and general, just Europe or overseas, the United States. Sometimes you'll get a country mentioned, as in this example, the third one says France, etc. Passports issued from 1915 to 1923 were issued for two years and then could be renewed for a further two years for up to four consecutive periods, so eight, ten years in total. From 1924 they were issued for five years and then could be renewed for a further five years. The ten-year passport, which we're familiar with these days, only came into use in 1968. Now, as I said, these registers can be searched and they are available, the indexes to search on Find My Past for those periods in the 19th century where they survive from 1851 to 56, 1858 to 1862, and then 1874 to 1903. We hold later registers up to 1916, but those aren't available online and you need to come to the National Archives to search those. And we've got the actual registers of passports issued up to 1948. This is an example from the Foreign Office applications in the Foreign Office series FO 
737 and is an example of the application papers. Where these survive, they're very useful for family historians, they're detailed, they give lots of background information, a description of the individual, their occupation and their address, and why they wish to have a passport issued. But they have been heavily weeded and not all the papers have survived. The ones in FO737 can be searched by search, doing a name search on Discovery online catalogue. Other departure records that survive, again in the Exchequer records, there are port books arranged by port. Not every port is listed, but you can search the catalogue for the names of individual ports. So the smaller ports are listed under the larger ports and can be found in this particular series. There are also some registers of passengers listed aboard vessels in the Colonial Office series CO1 for the 17th century. America and West Indies is the series CO1 and that covers people emigrating or travelling to the American colonies. There's also an odd survival in the Treasury Papers in the series T47. Again, registers of passengers between 1773 and 1776. Just basic name details of individuals, lists of names of passengers aboard vessels travelling overseas. We also hold some registers, Board of Trade records relating to births, marriages and deaths at sea in a number of Board of Trade series and also in a Colonial Office series. And I'll say a little bit about those, a little bit more about those later. The Board of Trade passenger lists, the overseas, the outward bound passenger lists in the series BT27, which only really commence in 1890 and run to 1960. The Board of Trade lists before 1890 haven't been kept and after 1960 they weren't selected for permanent preservation. So we only have them for that period between 1890 and 1960 and the earlier ones are less detailed than the later ones and I'll show you some examples of those in a moment. This is an example of the port books E190. Basic details listed on the ports of the names of ships in the ports and departing the ports. They list the name of the ship, the master and the mate, and the owner of the vessel. And where the cargoes are actually human cargoes of passengers rather than goods, you will get the names of individuals listed and those can be extracted from the registers. Again, just basic details of individuals and many for the 17th and 18th century have been extracted and have been published and are now available online. This is an, another example of a list, this one from the Colonial Office series for the American West Indies, CO1. Um, again, lists of names of individuals aboard a particular vessel. These are slightly more detailed than the port books, giving you the names of the individuals in sort of family groups with the head of the household and dependents and the ages of the individuals. So slightly more information. And this is an example of an index of the Treasury records in T47 for that period between 1773 and 1774. Just basic details again of individuals aboard ships. Where they're from, just a general description, usually just a, a city or a town and the county. Where they're bound and the ship that they're bound on. So again, just basic details, not great details and not listed by family groups, I'm afraid. The passenger lists from 1890 just again give you the basic details of individuals. 
This is a register, the Board of Trade register, of deaths at sea. This example is from the Titanic, but there are other registers. The early series are in BT 158, 159 and 160. Um, from the 1890s, they're in the series BT 334, and this is the BT 334 register for 1912, showing the death records for the, for the Titanic. The other registers are available online on bmdregisters.co.uk and also on Find My Past and Ancestry, where you can search the indexes to deaths at sea and births and the odd marriage, not many marriages, but mainly births and deaths at sea of passengers aboard British registered vessels. And this is one of the earlier passenger lists. We only have outward bound passenger lists for voyages to destinations outside Europe so to British territories, the Dominions and colonies, and to the United States and other overseas countries outside Europe. We don't have any passenger lists for, for cross-channel voyages or voyages into Europe. But if the voyage was calling in at a European port before going on to somewhere outside, outside Europe, then we should have a passenger list for those voyages. And they're broken down by British passengers and alien passengers. So this particular one lists the names and descriptions of British subjects, British passengers. The earlier ones don't give you full names and sometimes they don't even give you a first name, they'll just give you initials and the name of the individual and an age. So again, very basic information from the 1890s and the early 1900s. This is an example showing two actors, that, two British actors that went overseas to the United States, a young Charles Chaplin and also Stanley Jefferson, who became Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy fame. Again, basic details of the individuals and an address and where they're going to overseas. This is another example, slightly later, of another actor or would-be actor, Archibald Leach, Cary Grant, board again a British vessel bound for New York amongst the list of British registered passengers. These give basic details, the name of the passenger, the age, um, their last address in the United Kingdom, which is often useful to trace back, and their professional occupation, and their country of per last permanent residence. Sometimes these people are just going abroad on holiday, others are actually emigrating to their particular country of destination. And again, this is again another example of Stan Laurel in the 1950s, last address in the United Kingdom, his occupation and where he was bound for Vancouver. And this is another example, this time of alien passengers who are embarking at Hull for a voyage to Vancouver. Again, it gives you the basic details. This is an example, again, a Laurel and Hardy connection. This is Oliver Hardy, who, of course, was an American citizen, US citizen, going back after a visit to the United Kingdom. Um, so he appears on the same vessel, but in the alien passengers as a, a foreign national. And again, these records have all been transcribed and digitised, and these are available on Find My Past. They're also available on other websites as well, and you can search them by name. These are examples of some of the correspondence that survives relating to emigration and applications for passages overseas. There are a number of colonial office series that detail applications for free emigrants asking for assisted passages or for help 
or to join one of the schemes relating to emigration to a particular colony. This is taken from the Colonial Office series CO386 and relates to the Land and Emigration Commission. Details of that are available on our research guide. And these, this series contains original correspondence, entry books of correspondence and registers of emigrants and emigration. Um, it's a miscellaneous series of various types of records. You also get some registers and births and deaths of emigrants at seas on board vessels and ships chartered by the Land and Emigration Commission. And if you can find things in these papers, they give you a lot of background information on the family's circumstances and why they want to go and settle overseas in a British territory. You can also trace details in the original correspondence for the particular colonies. Each colony has its own series of original correspondence and there are registers to the original correspondence and you can use those to trace individuals emigrating overseas if you have a rough idea of when they actually went abroad. The other types of records that we have for people that couldn't actually afford to emigrate or couldn't actually ask for an assisted passage or were not actually volunteering to go overseas were people that were poor or orphans and many of the workhouses and the Poor Law Commission and the Poor Law Board actually assisted paupers to actually emigrate overseas. And this is an example taken from the Poor Law Records, the correspondence with the Poor Law Commissioners and the Poor Law Board in the series, the Ministry of Health series MH12. These records start in the 1830s with the setting up of the Poor Law Commission. Um, this was replaced by the Poor Law Board in 1847, then by the Local Government Board in 1871 and the Ministry of Health in 1919. And the surviving correspondence from the Poor Law Boards with the Central Authority in London survive the papers survive in this series, MH12, the original correspondence. And this is an example from one of the poor law unions in Norfolk, a record of people who are being assisted to emigrate overseas, recorded in the MH12 series. You get various descriptions of individuals and basic details of them and where they're being sent. Other information will be held amongst the poor law records themselves held in county record offices. So we only have the central records and the correspondence from the poor law unions. Not everything will have been sent or copies sent to the central authorities in London. So to trace individuals that may have been sent overseas by the boards of guardians, you need to check the collections of records held in county record offices for the individual poor law unions that you're interested in. I'm going to say a little bit now about child migration, which runs on. Lots of orphans were actually sent overseas by the poor law authorities and by the Ministry of Health. There are various records. We don't hold all of them. Many, many institutions hold other records relating to child migration. We have records of the Home Office and the Ministry of Health and the records of the Department of Health and Social Security. So we have earlier records of predecessor departments as well. Various records are held in different institutions. Records of the children's homes, the Rye and Macpherson records, are held by in the Bernardo's collection, and you can access some of those on the Bernardo's website, bernardos.org.uk. Records from 1874. 
There are restrictions on accessing some of those records. Access is really for just descendants of the individuals only. Records of the Fairbridge Society are held by the University of Liverpool, as are the records of the National Children's Home and other records relating to Bernardo's. Their archives are also subject to restrictions. Usually, well, there is a 100-year restriction on access to some of the records. The records of the Big Brother scheme, which was a scheme of the Australian government, are actually held in the Australian archives. There are other records of other institutions as well. The Catholic Children's Society hold their own records and you need to inquire for them for records of Catholic children's homes. We hold the main correspondence, the Children's Department correspondence of the Home Office in the series MH102 and the records of the Department of Health and Social Security in the BN records, BN 29 and BN 62 and case papers in BN 28. These are examples again of poor law records and related records. The Ministry of Health series MH19 can be used in conjunction with the original correspondence in MH12 and this correspondence records incoming and outgoing correspondence with the poor law commissioners, the poor law board and the local government board. And there are registers to this correspondence in another Ministry of Health series, MH20. And it's very good for the late 19th century and early 20th century. There are records of individuals being sent overseas. And in some cases, there can be quite detailed information and reports on individuals. This particular example from MH19 shows children who were sent to Canada between 1887 and 1892 with brief reports on how they're doing, basic details of where they've been settled and how they're getting on. The amount of information will vary depending on the type of record that survives for the particular colony that you're interested in. So some records will be more detailed than others. You can get reports on individuals. This is, these are particular case papers for two individuals. This is an example of two children, two young daughters where their mother had died and they were taken into care, taken into a Bernardo's home. Their father had fallen into lazy and drunken habits and had been convicted. So they were taken into care and subsequently it was decided that they would have a better life in Canada and they were actually sent to Canada and settled in Canada. And there is correspondence in the Ministry of Health papers relating to their resettlement in Canada and also a protest from their father. This is a letter informing him that the children are going to be sent overseas and there is correspondence from him protesting at their removal and saying that he's opposed to their removal. Unfortunately, his views weren't taken into consideration as happened in a number of cases, the children were sent by the authorities and settled in Canada. Details of their settlement can be found. Many records of arrival survive in other archives overseas and there are details of these two children in the records of Canadian arrivals. And these are accessible, these have been listed from the Canadian archives on Find My Past. And they, these cover the period from 1865 to 1935. Later records of arrivals after 1935 are still held by the Canadian government and aren't in the Canadian archives. But you can still apply for information from the Canadian government for later records.
and you can access some of the images of the arrival lists on Find My Past from the Canadian records. Another example from Canada, the Library and Archives Canada have copies of records, again, of the two little girls arriving in Canada. Records have been extracted from passenger lists and records of arrival. The records on the Library and Archives Canada have been compiled by the British Isles Family History Society of Greater Ottawa, who are actually compiling complete indexes of arrivals of emigrants in the Dominion of Canada. And there are details, for examples, of these children arriving from Bernardo's. This photograph shows a party of children on their way to New Zealand in 1940 as part of the scheme for moving children out of the United Kingdom during the Second World War. Surviving correspondence and papers of the Children's Overseas Reception Board, CO. RB, CORB, survive in the Dominions Office series, DO131. The majority of the files relating to the Children's Overseas Reception Board were actually destroyed in 1959, but there are surviving administrative papers in the series DO131, and there are some files relating to children and registers of all the applications for children to go overseas, and these are searchable by name of individual and date on the National Archives catalogue discovery. The scheme only lasted for a brief period, 1940-41. You can, where the papers survive, get information, detailed information on the individuals and where they went. Again, this is an example of an individual that didn't settle in his new home, fall, uh, fell foul of the law while he was in, in Canada and was actually sent back to the United Kingdom. The scheme was actually brought to an abrupt end because of the danger of U-boats and there are examples, as with this news cutting, of ships lost at sea and in this particular case a number of children were actually killed when their ship was torpedoed by a U-boat. And there is detailed correspondence relating to this particular event. Other correspondence can be found, colonial office correspondence re relating to each individual country. The early correspondence for Australia is in a colonial office series, CO201. New South Wales original correspondence goes back to 1783 in the series CO201. Um, there are also records of Australian settlers to be found in the New South Wales entry books. Um, and records are available on the National Archives of Australia website, the NAA website, naa.gov.au, and also records of the various schemes set up by the British and Australian governments. There are records for the New Zealand Company in the Colonial Office series CO208, original correspondence from 1839 to 1858, and other correspondence, original correspondence for New Zealand in CO209. And there are other series, detailed series of, of correspondence for each of the colonies. I'm going to finish there. So, going back to the emigration and passenger lists, how did they work in World War I? Well, they do survive the uh, period of the First World War. There were restrictions on emigration during the First World War. That's when the issuing of passports became compulsory in 1916. And there's a whole series of orders in council that were issued by the government restricting alien passengers from leaving the country or coming into the country. There were restrictions on aliens moving around the country. They had to register with the police. But British subjects 
um, going overseas had to have a valid reason for going overseas during wartime. So there are restrictions on travel during the First World War period, but those that got permission to go overseas could do so. They could apply for a passport, a passport could be issued. So passport registers are worth searching for that period, and there are passenger lists for passengers going overseas for that period of the First World War. Okay, and on the passport list, did young children require passports? Are children listed? Children are not listed, I'm afraid. If there's a surviving application, the, 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 the family details will be listed, but children would have been listed under their father or mother's passport. So the only record you'll find in the registers is the passports issued to the father or mother. There won't be passports issued to the children at this period. Okay, and members of the armed forces, did they need documents when they were on duty to travel? They needed travel permits, yes. Uh, we don't have any examples of those, I'm afraid. And we don't have any records of soldiers travelling on uh, troop ships during the First or Second World Wars. So we don't have lists of soldiers aboard ships. But they did have documentation. We just don't have any examples of those. OK, we have another question. If a family made several journeys to the same country, leaving from the same port, could we expect more that, to find them on more than one record? If it's after 1890, then they should appear on all the passenger lists, and as well as the outgoing passenger lists, we also have incoming passenger lists as well. So you should be able to trace them on those. Before 1890, if they're emigrating, and if they had an assisted passage, um, or a forced passage through the poor law, then you might find them listed on the ships. But before 1890, you're not likely to find them coming backwards and forwards on, on ships. A, the passenger list don't survive, and unless they had an assisted passage, there won't be anything amongst the colonial office or home office records. Okay, and you mentioned colony uh, correspondence records. Yeah. Um, how would you go about searching for these? Most of them are original records. Most of them are not actually available online. They haven't been digitised and they haven't been indexed. Some records you can search in our catalogue by name. You can do a search under the name of the country you're interested in and just search under CO. Use the research guides on emigration. Those will list some of the main dominions, but all the other smaller sort of colonies, other countries, will have their own colonial office correspondence. But basically, you'll need to know a rough date of when they actually went to a particular country and then search through the original correspondence for that country using the registers. Usually there are registers of correspondence that you can use as a means of getting into the actual original correspondence series. Okay, and are there any port records of people travelling in the days before passports? Up to the late 18th century, you can try the port books in E190, that Exchequer series I mentioned, E190. You may find lists of them on board ships departing British ports up to about 1790. Those go back to 1565, so you can try the port books in E190. For the 17th century, the licenses to go overseas in the Exchequer series E157, and if they're going to a, a British colony, then possibly the American and West Indies records in CO1 in the 17th century. 
Okay, and if someone died after assisted emigration, would their death details be registered in the UK? They'll only be registered in the UK if they died on board a British ship while on the way to a country overseas. Once they arrive in, in the country, then it depends on whether that country has its own registration system. If they died on the ship, on the voyage, then there should be a record of that after 1854 in the Board of Trade registers. Okay, I think that's all the questions we're going to have time for, so we'll wrap it up there. Copyright the National Archives. All rights reserved.